Welcome to This Week in Photo. Bandwidth for This Week in Photography is brought to you by Cashfly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This episode is brought to you by FreshBooks, the easy and online invoicing service that gets you paid quickly and makes you look professional. Get started with a free package at FreshBooks.com. That's FreshBooks.com. And by Squarespace.com, the fast and easy way to publish a high-quality website or blog. For a free 14-day trial, go to Squarespace.com slash TWIP. And be sure to check out their annual plans for savings of up to 20%. This week on the show, women photoshopped out of a White House photo, Jason Group sets a world record in photography, getting the most out of your digital sensor, and Panasonic releases the new G3. All this and more on This Week in Photo number 201. Hey everyone, welcome back to This Week in Photo. This is Alex. Uh, Frederick had a personal emergency. Uh, evidently he's missing one of his lenses. He's always, you know, I have no idea why he's not here, but he's, he's, he wasn't able to make the show. And uh, so I am sitting in, I've got a little bit of a cold, so if you're wondering why I don't sound like uh, me, uh, that is, that's why. So anyway, uh, we also we have a great, um, we have uh, just a great bunch of folks and a great set of stories to talk about. Uh, coming in uh, for our, our hosting duties, jo- Joseph Lenaski, Jason Group, and Bruce Clark. Hey, guys. Good morning. Hey. Hey. Hello. And uh, and we have um, some some crazy news here. Okay, check this out. So women uh, are removed from the Bin Laden uh, photo. So so here's what happened. And this was the the this is the photo. If you as you remember, uh, that was taken the iconic photo that was taken of uh, of the president of his staff watching uh, the raid um, uh, of Bin Laden's uh, compound. And so there was a great photo, but. Uh, there were there were some women there, and, and evidently that doesn't work. Uh, a quiz is from Top Cultured. Hasidic newspaper Der uh, Zeitung, I think. Um, I'm not sure exactly how to say that. Uh, printed a story using the iconic image released by the White House showing uh, President Obama and the staffers. Uh, and the only problem was is that the women had – there were two women in there, and uh, so they Photoshopped them out. And it included, you know, Secretary of State uh, Hillary Clinton. Now, of course, the paper apologizes and says the omission – uh, is part of their policy. It's always been part of their policy, and and, uh, and they simply don't want to, you know, objectify women. I think that's the that's what they that's what they say there. So, uh, Joseph, what what happened here? <laughs> it's it, it's comical. I mean, I saw this a few days ago. I woke up to a tweet that somebody had sent out, and it really makes you wonder what would have happened if Hillary had been president. <laughs> so I could just see front page headline news: the president of the United States, and there's a podium that's empty. It's very bizarre. I don't know how they can in, in today's modern world. And I get that there's you know, old traditions and old rules and things that go by, but news is news. You know, you start manipulating the picture, and you're going against the very tenement of, of photojournalism. So well, it seems like how it, do you do it, that? It seems that you know, and, and one thing to be clear is that is that. In the release of that photo, the photo that was posted there, it made it, it made it abundantly clear that that it did not release the rights to make any changes, any adjustments to that photo. It had to be printed as is hmm. um, when it was put up, and so they not that you know they broke the actual policy of that photo. And, and really, the, uh, uh, Bruce, don't you think that the the real option here was either to leave it the way it is, or just not print a photo with the with the story? Yeah, I would say just not not print the photo because uh, number one, it's a pretty crummy. I mean, it's hard to tell from the image, but the Photoshop work done looks pretty crummy. Uh, that guy looks like he has a giant hunchback shoulder. Well, it's a hard that's a hard one because they were covering yeah. a lot of people. Yeah, so I can think of other Photoshop that might be done on Hillary Clinton, but that's a whole other story. Um, <laughs> I would say probably just uh, you know not run with the photo rather than manipulating it. It's, uh, particularly in, in in journalism, I mean, that's a big no no is, is touching photos in photojournalism. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think Jason, you were going to say something. Uh, I, I just think it's funny. Leave it to the Hasidic Jews to steal the spotlight from Osama bin Laden. <laughs> I, I'm a Jew. I can say that. So I just I'd find that part comical. Yeah. So so yeah. So the um, so anyway. So it's it's an interesting thing. Obviously, we've had these photo these kind of Photoshop uh, stories come up every you know just you know we get them every uh, couple uh, years it seems or every couple months where somebody has felt, oh, I'll just fix a little bit of something. This has gone way further. You know, the Iranians will, might, might add a, a missile or two 
the uh, you know sometimes <laughs> Reuters will add a little bit of extra smoke, and it always seems to be around you know around some kind of big you know big event that they want to show off. Uh, or that someone wants to do, and it just didn't quite turn out the way you expected it. So uh, we'll add a little bit more. So, um, but again, this is—I think that what's important here more than anything is for people to realize how easy it is to manipulate photos. You know that it used to be that if you saw, you know, you you believe what you could see, and you'd see these photos. And I think it's important for our listeners and for people in general to understand how powerful the editing tools are these days, and uh, and that they shouldn't believe, <laughs> don't believe anything that you see uh, from one angle. <laughs> I don't subscribe subscribe to this particular paper, but I'm guessing they didn't cover the royal the royal wedding. Mm. There you go. <laughs> yeah, that would have been a mm, that would have been very wedding. complicated. So now we have a big story coming up next, and 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 uh, we actually have the person who who made the story here on the show. But before we get to that, I just want to um, thank one of our sponsors, uh, FreshBooks.com. Now, uh, here's the deal: is a lot of us have uh, have you know we've been out there. We're artists, uh, whether it's graphic artists or photographers, and we really like to do what we do. We don't really like to actually do the business end of it, the invoicing and all those things, but. Cash flow is king. Uh, you, know, you have to make sure that you're getting that stuff, and you want to look good. And a part of what we, what delays it a lot of times is we want it to look good, and we want it to be easy to put together. And invoices are never that way until now. With FreshBooks.com, you know, basically it's a quick and easy way to create and send professional-looking invoices by uploading your company's logo to appear in your invoices and just give them a lot more of a professional look. Now, what you can do after that is send your clients a um, – uh, allow them to basically download a PDF of the invoice. So you don't even have to mail it out. Now, you can. If you want to mail it out, it's about a buck thirty-nine an invoice. So you can mail it out to them, but you can also just email them with the PDF. They can even uh, click right through – and uh, make a payment via PayPal and a bunch of other uh, electronic services. So, so they can just handle it. No fuss, no muss. You know the uh, the, the the thing is is that this just lets you do get that out of your way. It's like having, you know, almost like, like having a little bookkeeper there handling all your invoices and putting all this stuff together. Uh, you know, you can have automated late payment. Uh, you can invoice by the hour, so you can have this little time tracking feature to log your hours, and it just puts it right into your timesheet. Uh, you know, and so it's just a great way. I mean, if if this has been holding you up. If you're trying to figure out how to do this and this has been holding you up, it's just a great way to get this out of the way and look good and get your invoices out and get your money back in. So uh, definitely check it out. And, you know, if you sign up today, you know, they have uh, a free birthday cake. I know this sounds crazy. Uh, You can get fresh books uh, for free for up to three clients. Uh, and uh, it only takes you a minute to set it up. Uh, you can go to freshbooks.com and sign up. And when you a- when they ask you where you heard about it, make sure to tell them that Twip sent you and go get your birthday cake. Uh, one of the audience members is going to get a birthday cake. Could be you. Uh, they, they draw a name every day for the entire month. One of our uh, one of our guys actually. <laughs> we we get invoices from our guys, and uh, one of them got a birthday cake. It's very good. So uh, that's freshbooks.com, and let make sure to let them know that Twip sent you. So now let's get back to the show. Uh, so here is the here's the scene. Well, actually, you know what? I'm not going to even explain the scene here. Uh, Jason, uh, go ahead and tell us. You, 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 you got a little crazy with some strobes. <laughs> I had a I had a dream. <laughs> now, where did this dream come from? That's that's the question I have for you. Like, you know, there's there's things to do, and then there's like, yeah, I'd like to have 300 strobes, uh, you know, all going off at the same time. So, so where did the give us the backstory? What happened here? So I um, had been asked by uh, Dave Junian of After Dark um, when he asked me to be a mentor as part of their conference. Uh, he said, you know, we love to do fun things kind of out of the box. We're a little bit different than some of the other photography uh, schools and conferences. Um, if you could think of something fun um, that you'd love to do, go for it. You know, don't, you know, don't, nothing is too crazy. So that's pretty much all you have to say to me. Um, to get my mind kind of rolling. So I literally went to sleep that night and had this dream. I don't remember the exact specifics of it, but it definitely involved the Guinness Book of World Records, and it definitely involved a lot of flashes. (laughs) So (laughs) I don't remember the exact specifics, but it literally was a dream, and I got up in the morning, and I keep a little notepad next to my bed, or sometimes I'll just use my iPhone and and notes, and I I wrote down uh, GWR flashes. And I woke up in the morning and I was like, oh, yeah. Um, so I sent Dave an email the next day and, and I said, uh, um, you know, I had this dream about going for the most amount of uh, – um, like to set a Guinness Book of World Records and the most strobes ever fired. And he wrote back, dot, 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 I'm listening. 
So I, I, I kind of put my thoughts together a little bit more, and um, we came up with, uh, um, you know, going for a Guinness Book of World Records, and then we started looking into it, and, you know, obviously I would need the support of some sponsors who made the strobes, and, and I, I've been a big fan of the uh, LumaPro 160s for... Oh, I don't know, a year or so now I've been using them in, in all my teaching and, and I have a lighting DVD. And so I immediately contacted Midwest and uh, the ball just kind of ro- rolled from there. And, um, you know, and then we had to get in touch with Guinness and start dealing with them. I mean, now what's, it the, now what's the process of months. getting it? Get it how, do you, how do you go go to the Guinness Book of World Records and say, I'd like to break a record? Do you, you call, are you just asking for guidelines? Is that the... Well, you got you got to go on the website and you have to submit an application, and um, you know there's a. So you can't just do it. You can't just do it and, and expect. You really to, can't. You, I mean, it, it depends. Like there are ways, but I think if you don't go through their submission guidelines, it could take months to get it actually verified. Right. And I think there is pretty small staff of people um, that are dealing with. I mean, it's a global book, you know, right. it's worldwide recognized. And, um, I only think there's a small staff dealing with it. So unless you start, do, you know, doing some of the application processes, um, they, they won't, you, you might not ever hear from them again. So it, it was a little, it was a, it was a little back and forth as far as, you know, figuring out if we were going to actually have them bring a judge out and all this stuff. But, it, it, it was it was a uh, it was a really interesting process. I could <laughs> let me just leave it at that. And there's I mean there's some other stuff. I don't know if you want me to keep going or well, so. What um, so what I were the, what were some of the challenges as you get 300 uh, strobes together? Uh, you have power issues. I mean, the first challenge was you know getting getting the equipment that I needed to do it because right. you don't so, need to, you don't you don't have 300 strobes just laying around. No. That's what you're saying. No. Just, that's, that's, that's what I'm saying. So, yeah, just go. I, ah, just go into the store, and I mean, just go. You know, and you don't want to go buy them because you're only going to use them. You're only you might use blocks of these, but you're never going to use the 300 again. Well, maybe right. you would. I mean, I, I mean, it crossed my mind. You know, how much would 300 LP 160s cost? <laughs> and uh, that was, you know, a lot. <laughs> More than ten dollars. So you know, I, it, without the support of Midwest, and then uh, we brought in Radio Poppers. Um, without their support, this never, ever could have happened. And, you know, after, you know, kind of getting the ball rolling there and then deciding that we definitely wanted this to be a Guinness Book of World Records. Now, when, when I say that, um, my most important goal, I'm kind of a, I, I've been a Guinness fan. Like, I, I've been reading the book since I was a little kid. And, you know, quick story, uh, there was a, when I was dating my wife and we used to go out there for holidays in Jersey when we lived in the city, we could never, we weren't married yet and we weren't allowed to sleep in the same room. And her sister had a 1977 Guinness Book of World Records book in her, in her room. And I used to put myself to sleep reading. <laughs> so, so wait, no, no, I just have to ask, you, you, you didn't, you couldn't sleep with your, in your girlfriend's room, but you could sleep in her sister's room. I could sleep in her sister's room, yes. <laughs> but her sister wasn't there. No, no, her sister wasn't there. <laughs> no. I was just saying, uh, there's a there's a tradition there that I don't really understand. So, <laughs> yes, that would have been that would have been interesting. So um, that kind of got it back in my head in my twenties, and um, then I remember, you know, make, kind of making a joke of it, and, and you know, getting the book as a gift, and so it was one of those things where I was like, how cool would it be to have a you know a Guinness Book of World Records? And you know, when I started talking to people about it, you know, everybody just kind of like. You get this like little childish smile on your face when you think about that, you yeah. know. I grew up. Uh, I grew up reading the Guinness Book of World Records. Right. I mean, you know. I mean, if you're a little bit older, you watch the Happy Days episode with with the. That actually wasn't the Guinness people, but you know they were breaking world records, and right. you know. This, so I mean, it's kind of been a part of pop culture for you know all, our generations for sure. And um, I, I've just been. I, I don't. I don't. I was never much of an athlete. And, uh, you know, I, I played baseball, um, for like 10 years and never amassed one stat <laughs> in the 10 years I played baseball. I mean, I, I think I walked about a hundred times, but I don't think I ever actually recorded a hit. So, um, this thing would be like, well, that's this what I call, be- that's what I call fortitude though. I mean, you know, to, to play for 10 years without, without getting a stat, I don't think I could have done that. I, I would have quit. 
that well, that probably could have been a stat in itself in the rec- yeah. this book of records. But um, yeah, so you know, we went back and forth about it, and and uh, then we decided we want to go for it. And you know, the big problem was Guinness came back with a about a three page set of guidelines of exactly what we needed to do and how we needed to do it. And my original thought was. You know, to create some sort of photograph that was um, different and, you know, kind of exciting. And um, after reading their submission guidelines, one of them was they wanted us to supply slow motion video evidence of all flash, all the flashes firing. And I'm thinking to myself, well, let's see. Uh, Most portable strobes go off at what, about one four thousandth of a second? Right. And normal video would show those flashes going off at different times. Right. At least that's what I thought. Right. I never actually tested that. So I had to go back and forth with them about that and say, well, you know, I would have to rent a $20,000 camera to get that kind of slow motion video. And, and their and response was so? Pretty much, actually. <laughs> How bad do you want it? <laughs> <laughs> right. right. Um, so I finally got them to agree that that, you know, was the one thing. But they needed photographic evidence of all 300 flashes going off. They were very, very clear about that. And when I was speaking with the judge, she said to me, I need to, you to tell me how I'm going to see those 300 flashes going off. And that's when things kind of took a little bit of a turn because then I realized, like, there's not going to be, like, me lighting up a stadium or lighting up uh, one of the biggest buildings in Cincinnati or um, – you know, some of those ideas kind of came to mind, um, you know, giving the flashes to 300 people, um, you know, lots of different things. Or just like one of my ideas was, you know, getting a crane and making my my icon, the J icon in the 300 flashes. <laughs> um, so there were lots of little ideas. But really, when it came down to it is I just needed to take a picture of the 300 flashes going off, <laughs> which was a little bit disappointing. Um, in the sense that um, it, was a, it, it was a little less of a stretch to do it that way. So I kind of came up with this idea of building these panels. And my idea was to, to build uh, like speakers at a, at, a, um, at a rock concert. Right. And, you know, when the pyrotechnics go off in front of the speakers, like that would be the flashes, right? So that was kind of my idea. And then we started doing the math about like concentrating all those lights together. And I said, wow, that's going to be really interesting light. It'll be like a giant softbox. And I said, well, you know, that'll be fun to play with. Um, so we did it and that's what we did. And, you know, the interesting part of the whole thing is that there's a lot of people that are really pissed off about the fact that I just took a picture of 300 flashes and that it was kind of a lame attempt. And uh, I'm a little disappointed at, you know, some of the nasty comments that I've received about it. I mean, because the bottom line was, is I, ta- I achieved my goal of 300 flashes and it's a Guinness Book of World Records. And I think the, the Joe McNally enthusiasts are really going, you know, and fans are really kind of going crazy. And, you know, the bottom line is, is I'm not Joe McNally. I never claim to be Joe McNally, and nor do I, does my style reflect anything like what he does. And I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't want to be anything like him. I mean, he lit up Alice Island about 10 years ago or 20 years ago, and you know, he's done lots of amazing things like feats of photography. Right. Feats of photography is not really what I do. What I do is you know, take great pictures of my clients and you know, try and bring a little bit of a fashion inspiration into my style of photography, mm-hmm. and that's what I'm known for. So my goal was take, take the picture of 300 flashes, get the Guinness Book of World Records, achieve a goal of mine from when I was a kid and then have some fun with the flashes um, afterwards. Yeah, once you have them. Because you had to send them back. Right, because everything had to be repackaged up after it was done. I mean, we were talking about all in all, it was $100,000 of equipment. They're not going to let you keep that. They're not going to let me keep it. I would love to keep. Actually, I'm trying to talk Midwest into into one of the four by eight panels. They may leave together. So is there any, do you see any practical use for all of this? I do, you know, actually at the end when I did the photographs, and that was my other thing, like I did the photograph and then we moved to a different location and I did some shots with some models kind of mimicking my iHeart New York series um, and I kind of concepted them into the shot. Um, right. And I think, I think they're kind of cool photographs and um, they definitely fit within my style of photography. So I feel like I, I, I attempted my, my goal um, all in all. Right. Um, but the, I, I did have a chance, and it's on my blog now. I updated it with some new pictures. Um, 
I did have a chance to play with like I, I, I compared the 75 flashes on one panel to a giant softbox. Right. And it was really interesting seeing the difference in the light. It's like I, I think it looks like if you've ever played with one of those giant parabolic umbra- umbrellas, mm-hmm. um, like the, I don't know, Profoto I think makes a giant seven foot one. And I think uh, uh, Ellen Crow makes one too. It kind of has that same feel of light to it because it's still it's still very directional it's still very contrasty um and it, and it wraps around but it's completely impractical <laughs> <laughs> i mean it takes 10 minutes to turn them all on right 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 and you know as it from a technical aspect this actually wasn't that easy to achieve it just wasn't turning on and wiring up 300 flashes i mean it took us it took us nearly eight hours with a crew of 10 people to wire these things up, take them out of the packaging, put batteries in them, put them on the umbrella stand, drill the holes, um, put it all together, turn everything on. And then, I mean, we're talking about 300 flashes. That's 600 connections. That's 600 eighth-inch jacks to eighth-inch jacks on the radio poppers, right? And that's, you know, 1,200 connections on the batteries put in properly. And, you know, this, this, the, the batteries that go on the radio poppers as well. So all of that had to be put together. And, the, and also, you know, the, one of the big points that I want to make is that the judge, before I came out, pretty much said, you know, I'm going to say to you, you're going to go for the Guinness Book of World Records. Go. And I only was supposed to have one attempt at it. So that's a lot of pressure to right. get it done in one attempt. Mind you, she also said, I have to take the picture. So now I have to get a trigger of some kind to trigger the light. I actually took the picture um, with, a, with a, uh, a, a cheap Japanese um, um, uh, tri- camera trigger. Right. Um, and we actually did it in the first try. Right. Um, it wasn't my favorite photograph, so we kept going and we did two or three more. Um, but you know, I don't think people realize that like, it's a Guinness book of world records. Like, all right, you ready? Go <laughs> 600 connections, 300 flashes. You know, it was a lot. Right. Yeah. It's funny. It could be an interesting case study for radio popper. I and mean, this should be a great ad for them to show that that many devices will fire simultaneously, will stay in sync, will not lose their connection. Um, I think they'd be all over this as part of an advertising campaign. Well, I mean, it definitely interested them as far as, you know, I was a little worried about, um, having all those connections so close to each other. I mean, they were only five inches apart from each other. Was there going to be any RF interference, mm. you know, between that? As it turned out, there was a little bit of interference with my little radio trigger, my, my little camera trigger, um, because I was too far away. Maybe the batteries were going a little dead, but there was a little bit of interference um, um, there. Um, and I'm not sure it was exactly that or, or what it was, but, um, you know, when we started testing everything, um, I was I was happy to see that, like, they they all fired the first time we fired all 300 up there were some connection problems with the with the stereo plugs um at first that you know cuz we were you know and, and it was a team of us putting it all together so you know one of them got jarred and one of them a couple of them came out of the uh the umbrella mounts um but i was it, it was it was inter- it was an interesting test for yeah. sure I'd like. I'd love to see the comparison shots between that and the softbox because it is an interesting light source, right? A, a perfectly flat panel of light versus a softbox, which no matter how much you baffle it, there's always going to be a hot spot in the center and it's going to fade out. So if you're shooting something really big, like a car or a boat or something like that, where you want that really big flat light source, I can see this being to some degree a, a practical application of it. If you get hundreds of these lights and maybe they don't have to be quite this close to achieve that, but spread out over a large space. Um, you could get a, a light source that you really don't easily get anywhere else in the studio. In the studio, it was, I was going to say, I was like, I, I use that light source all the time. It's called. The- <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was. It, we took a meter to it, and it was perfectly even from top to bottom as wow. far yeah. as as far as light was concerned. You couldn't do that with a softbox, exactly. And the other interesting thing was too, that, and that was one of my biggest goals was. What happens when you go from two, four, two flashes to four flashes, four flashes to eight flashes, eight flashes to 16, and so on and so on? How does additive light play into that? Um, you know, how does additive light play into this? Is it going to add? Because the formulas say, you know, it should, when you get up around eight, 16, 32 flashes, it should be adding about a third of a stop for each time you, um, you add that many flashes to it. And that's exactly... 
um, what we actually found because um, 64 flashes at 164th power, the lowest setting on those LPs, should equal one speed light of light. But it actually wound up being about one stop more. So it was interesting, you know, when you start adding all that light to it, um, into how like it does the output of light winds up becoming more. I don't know how that happens, but that's that's what we found. So now we can and we can find you. You actually have a bunch of these on your on your blog, uh, mm-hmm. jasongroup.com, uh, and we'll have of course links into the show into the uh, from the show note, but show notes. But it's uh, it sounds it's it's a it's you know, and I it is the I think that a lot of times there is a need for. Uh, people to do things just because they can you know we do a lot of that like we did a youtube um you know made it available to put up 4k video and so we did a mac break in 4k <laughs> and, 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 and people were like i got this long drawn out thing about the you know why uh you know like what is the utility of doing a four a 4k you no one has a screen that can play it back and i was like because we can you know you know yeah. we, we, we yeah. you know and and we broke all kinds of things to do it you know, like it was like all kinds of things didn't work and everything else. Now, we did that at 1080p five years ago and didn't make any sense at all. But now everybody's doing podcast. I mean, like a lot of people do podcasts at 1080p now. You don't think about it. Um, and uh, and so and we it allowed us to build our pipeline to be something that was ready for five years from now. So in, in many ways, you know, people pushing these envelopes, I think, is, is really important because, you know, you do it just because you can. And then you start figuring out whether it would whether it makes sense or not, or whether you every, should. E- yeah, every project leads to another project, right? And, right. you know, who knows where this will go. Maybe I'll inspire somebody to, to take these and build exactly what you just said, like a big soft bank um, to light a car. The, the light will be interesting or, you know, who knows, who knows, you know, where that's going to go. I also, I just wanted to do it for fun. I mean, I bonded with my, with my buddies for 10 weeks the day of. Um, we mm-hmm. geeked out like crazy and, and just had a good time. And I also am working on um, this little film around it. I wanted to create like a Christopher Guest type film that, you know, right. was about like achieving this goal and this build up. And I'm not really a serious guy. Like, and I know a lot of the, the photojournalists and, you know, um, you know, you know, I, I just don't take myself very seriously. So right. I was never, I never, if somebody said to me, go out and create this, you know, ridiculous, uh, amazing, you know, going to change the world photograph, I would have said no, because it's not me. It's not who I am. Right. Right. Yeah. So, so uh, anyway, it's great. Uh, definitely check out Jason's uh, uh, blog and Jason Group. Uh, let's say with two P's uh, dot com. And uh, you'll, you'll see a lot more of this. I think it's a, just a really fun, uh, fun approach uh, to things. And I think it's worth doing. I, I, I could definitely see almost making it a pastime to like, because now I'm thinking like, what kind of world record can I get? That would be awesome. I mean, to do photography world records and talk about a geek fest. It's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's like, we're just gonna, yeah, that would. <laughs> I could probably make a business you know, out of it. Olympics. Anyway. Yeah, the the, the, the photography the, Olympics. Yeah. The Photoshop. Like we, we could do the. Oh, that's what we should do. We should do the Twip Olympics. Just, oh, I love it. Oh. Okay, okay, okay. We'll get back to that. What was what, the what, what was the previous record? A uh, hundred. Yeah, he crushed it. <laughs> crushed it it wasn't it wasn't like it was like 290 or something like that he just mm. said you know because we're, we're, you got to have it you got to do that so you make it to the book otherwise right. you know you you, you know someone if, if you did 105 someone else would do 110 and it'd be like price is right and you'd be done right right, right yeah so the um Anyway, so it's uh, so uh, very very cool. Um, next story up: uh, Panasonic uh, releases the new uh, DMC G3, or just called the G3. This is uh, their newest four thirds camera. Uh, it has all the bell- bells and whistles that you'd expect. Uh, it's got HD. It's you know it's a, it's uh, their four thirds kind of uh, DSLR, uh, and um, you know now it adds you know a couple things like being able to actually do focus pointing uh, on your LCD screen. Uh, Bruce, do you, see, do you see yourself using focus pointing on your LCD screen? Well, I mean, I do it on my iPhone. Exactly. So I don't see why not. Um, I mean, I shoot with a DSLR all the time, so I like having that third point of contact just from a stability standpoint. So, you know, I don't like holding the camera out and looking at an LCD screen. It just seems, to me, it feels unnatural, but obviously I do it when I'm shooting with an iPhone. So, yeah, I mean, I think in, in something like this, in a, in a smaller compact camera like this, it could probably makes uh, can make sense if you're, you know, I can envision if you're at, say, a concert or something like that and you're kind of holding it above the crowd, it's not exactly uh, easy to look through the viewfinder. So being able to, you know, reach up and see your screen and, and, and touch it and focus that way, I think would be 
useful. Well, that's, so I, I think that's actually one of the challenges when you when you when you have to get into some kind of odd position uh, of being able to you know get your camera over somewhere um, and uh, and still be able to just tell the camera you know uh, where you want it to focus because I think that, uh, that that's the biggest challenge with all these auto features is that the camera you know the technology has gotten better. Uh, but it's still not quite there. Joseph, do you think that? Uh, do you, what do you think of the new G3? Well, it looks pretty cool. The the touch focus is definitely has its place. Um, like you said, it's it's something we're already used to on the iPhone. Um, yeah, above crowds, that's a great place for it. Although I don't. Does this thing have a flip out screen? Does yes, the LCD flip out? Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, there you go. Then that's perfect for that. Also, a place I could see using it would be macro photography, where you've set up. You know, the camera's on a tripod. Everything's locked into place, and you're kind of playing with focus points to want to focus on, you know, this part of the flower, that part of the flower. And I can see that being, you know, a bit handy there. Well, and that's kind of the, the in general, when it's, once it's on a tripod, there's a lot of times where you just kind of want to, I, I have to admit, most of the time when our cameras are on tripods at that point, we're looking at a big screen. You know, I'm looking right. at an output from it. I'm not, um, you know, once I, you know, if we're, we're if, if I'm in the studio, I very rarely lean up into my camera if it's on, the, if it's on a uh, tripod. Mm-hmm. Um, I very much, very rarely lean up into the camera. Usually, I have the output going out to something, and I'm, I'm, and I have to admit, we have it up against scopes and you know all kinds of other stuff that we're just kind of measuring what's coming out the out the other end. So the um, uh, so I could I could definitely see it being kind of convenient just to hit the hit the camera because I'm not you know I'm not trying to hold on to it. Sure, I, I do kind of wonder though about this body format for a Micro Four Thirds camera. I mean, for me, the, what excites me about Micro Four Thirds and the mirrorless is being able to get something that's near DSL quality in a really, really small body, right? So I carry the I have a little the GF One um, Panasonic camera. It's great, right? It's really small. It's a lot smaller than the smallest DSLR, um, but it's way better than you know an iPhone or just a little point and shoot. This camera though is, is approaching Rebel size, and at this point. If you compare the shots to a Rebel, is it is it going to be better? I kind of don't think so. The Rebel's got the bigger sensor. That's my so that's my problem question. in general is is that I, I get in with all the fourth with a lot of the four thirds that kind of get into these kind of uh, SLR kind of formats. To me, there's like I can fit it in my pocket, or I can't. And once mm-hmm. I can't, I'm just going to get a regular camera. When yeah. I say regular, I mean DSLR camera. I'm going to get a yeah. full, full size camera, and because as soon as I have to strap it to my back, I have to strap it to my back. It doesn't matter. You know, or strap around my shoulder. It doesn't matter which one is going to, you know, which one, if that makes sense. Yep. Yeah. For my money, I think if I'm going Micro Four Thirds, I'm going to stay with a much smaller format. Right. And even now, you know, you've got like the Fuji X100 that is an APS-C size sensor in what we're f- formerly used to being a Micro Four Thirds size body. So the cameras are getting smaller, the sensors are getting bigger, whereas this one's kind of going the other way around. It's like a bigger body and a smaller sensor. I, I have to beg the question of, you know, what's the point? I don't really get it. Yeah, so we'll we'll see how that uh, that turns out. Also, uh, in the news, uh, so this is an interesting one. This first came out. Technicolor uh, started putting out guidelines related to, uh, you know, what you should set your ISO to. A lot of other settings. They they've been doing a lot of work with the SLR uh, format. And um, one of the things that they pointed out was that the ISO one sixty and multiples of ISO one sixty actually produce the best results. Um, and uh, and so there's been a, so um, a- Andrew Shar, uh, I believe, a photographer, uh, decided to test this, and we'll put in the show. Notes notes uh, his his actual tests uh related to this um but the um uh but what it, what it definitely looked like on top of having some nice music and being able to watch this little uh, uh you know thing over time is that you would see the the grain getting worse and then suddenly getting better and then getting worse and then suddenly getting better at those increments um over uh, you know the 160 increments um as they uh, as they went up uh and it's uh, it's a very interesting uh process Jason do you have any uh any opinions about this uh yeah, it's uh, actually, I, uh, it, it's not, you know, I don't haven't seen the evidence as much with stills, but man, right. video, it is so evident, especially in shooting in low light. Those, those uh, I believe they call it native ISOs, right? Yes. Yeah. The 160s. Um, well, and, and, and that's the question is whether those are the native ISOs or whether something else is going on. So, yeah, I don't know because because the, the one of the one of the theories behind this and there's a good this is uh, in uh, shoot the shot uh, um, is uh, you know had a little uh, theory about this process and I and I actually I would um, subscribe to it which is that the it may still be that the that the native ISO is 100 200 300 so on and so forth but what's happening is is that um, the way that, th- that that's being calculated when you change that is that you're just kind of stretching you're gaining it up. You know, to get to so basically, two hundred is right there. But what what's actually doing is it's it's making then making the whole image darker 
to get down to 160. You know, so 400 is there, but it's making it all darker to get to 320. So it's stretching 200 up until you get to 320, and then it's stretching 400 down because it's kind of closer. You know, so it's you know, and and the issue is is by making the whole image a little bit darker, you you know you see less of the grain. You know, it kind mm. of pushes all of that back in. And so the now the what you give up, of course, is uh, dynamic range when you do that. It means that you're, when you're making everything darker, it means that your blacks fall off faster and your whites clip faster. So, mm. so you may be seeing less grain, but you also may be getting less dynamic range uh, within the image because it's, it's shifting everything down. Um, and these are all the little cheats that go on in your chip. So, um, you know, so what may truly be there is still those, those whole numbers. But it's the way that they're doing them has a positive effect on on your grain, but not necessarily a positive effect on the entire image. It's just you're trading off, you know, uh, one for the other. Uh, Well, I always take perfectly exposed images (laughs) with perfect dynamic, you know, so I don't have to worry about (laughs) dynamic range. (laughs) Well, and that's always the challenge. You know, the, the, the whole thing with digital and especially with video is that one of the things that we're really challenged with with DSLRs is that they're being so heavily compressed. So, mm-hmm. so the issue is, is that, you know, this is why, you know, for a long time, DPs uh, in the film industry really didn't, and, and even photographers didn't want to go to digital because the dynamic range on film is so large that essentially, you know, you have to get close to the mark, um, but you don't have to hit the mark and you can still get that image back um, right. because you have so much room to work with in the, in the, uh, in your darkroom. And, and I remember taking, I mean, I remember as a dark, I was a darkroom head in high school or whatever, and according to high school photographers and the, you know, the lighting is all over the place and everything else. And I got really good at, at pushing those, pushing a lot of those negatives to get good images out of them. Um, obviously, it's best to hit right on. Uh, you're going to get, you're going to get the, the, the highest quality, but it's, you know, and it's easy to say, oh, they're professionals. They should hit that mark every single time. But there are a thousand things going on when you're taking a photo. You know, there are, you know, there's the lighting is changing and people are moving and there's all this stuff. And, and, uh, and so you want to have that big target that you can hit. The problem that you get into is, is that you have this, um, as you start to compress it, you end up with this small target, you know, this tiny little target that you have to hit. And with eight, with H264 that these cameras capture, you now have a, you know, it's a pinpoint target <laughs> that if you get a little bit one way or a little bit the other, there's not, you can't really correct, in my opinion, you guys can tell me if you disagree. In my opinion, you can't correct H264 footage very far. Um, you know, you have a little bit of wiggle room to push it back and forth, but compared to, you know, and, and, and that's one of the big problems, you know, with the, with the, uh, the DSLRs is that you just can't, um, push them without starting to see the macro blocking and everything else that's going on in the compression. Um, and, and it's, it's also why I, I have, I tend to believe that we're kind of at the end, you know, we're looking at this video and video is going to be great for photographers, um, who want to add video. So if you're a you know National Geographic photographer and you're in some crazy place and you want to shoot a little extra video for the, uh, the iPad version or something like that, that's going to make sense. Um, as a video-only tool, I think that we're, we're, t- we're in the twilight of that because now we have inexpensive video cameras that do uncompressed or less compressed footage you know, um, that, that are coming into the market you know, this year. And so um, you know, I don't think we're going to see as many people dedicating, you know, five Ds and so on and so forth to this anymore. Um, but it's an interesting. Really, I, I disagree with that. Okay, okay, you know, is I, it... I, yeah. I mean, the only reason is is that you know, unless they make some of these newer cameras uh, so that you can shoot with prime lenses, you can't. Um, I think. <laughs> that, well, that, that, when you look at the when you look at the Panasonic, uh, uh, the uh, the that one is interesting. Yeah, so when you look at that, but that so you have Sony have with the FS100, you have the Panasonic AF100. Both of these are in the the $4,000, $5,000 range. So still a little bit more expensive. Right. But you're now getting uncompressed outputs out of the back of those cameras. You know, and oh, now now it's 8-bit. It's 8-bit, right. but it's uncompressed. Right, right. And so um, you're going to get a lot more data and they run like a regular video camera. So the problem right. we have with DSLRs is we shoot in 11-minute or 14-minute increments. Um, which drive, you know, if you're shooting these as video, it drives you crazy. Um, you also have this highly compressed footage uh, that you have to deal with. And then you have to deal with the fact that you have a, you're have you working with a camera that doesn't do, isn't designed to be a video camera. You know, right. and, and no matter how much we stretch a DSLR, it's never going to be that. And so, and so the, this is get, kind of getting, you know, this is a rat hole. But, but the, you know, when, when, when we were walking around NAB looking at these new cameras, we were like, you know, cause, and I'm speaking as someone who owns two 70s and 5Ds that we bought them only to do video. So it's not, you know, we, you know, we're, mm-hmm. you know, we have them, we use them for stills and lots of stills, but, 
the primary purpose of buying these cameras was just to shoot video for high end web, you know, video. And, uh, um, anyway, and so they, and they've been very, very successful and we still are shooting lots of interviews with them and everything else, but we're looking down, you know, three months, six months from now, probably not ever doing that again. You know, like within, you know, other right. than, other than when we have to be really compact, like when I'm in Africa and I need a video camera and a still camera and I don't want to have two different ones right. to, you know, in, in my backpack, that's when I'll take a DSLR. But for stuff where I'm going to set up a jib and, and a steady cam, I mean, right now we're, we're putting five D's and on steady cams and jibs and everything else to shoot, shoot a lot of the stuff. And it just doesn't like that for us. That's kind of, we don't think we're going to be doing that anymore, you know, you know, right. uh, in, in the not too distant future. And so, so the, um, uh, so, but I think that, but I, but as we look at all of this, I think this is, uh, you know, interesting, you know, process, but it, it's, it's really interesting to understand the science of these chips and we'll do some more work on it. I think we need to get, I have a couple chip experts that I think we need to, uh, to try to get, um, uh, you know, onto the show and we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about this anyway. So that's a, we kind of got off. I got, I took us off. So it's not like, it's not your fault. It's not anybody's fault. It's, you know, it's uh, I got him on something. So, um, so anyway, uh, uh, here's the last, uh, last story here of the, of the day. Um, uh, it, this guy actually accidentally captures a, a, a proposal. So he's taking a time lapse and he, he accidentally, uh, captured a proposal. And we're kind of putting this out as a public service. We're letting you know that it happened on May 7th. About twelve thirty, I believe, uh, in in Central Park. If you're listening and you happen to be that, if you remember, you know, asking your your honey if if she <laughs> you to remember you. proposing on that day. Yeah, if, if you remember it, I mean, you know, some people, you know, they might forget. You know, it's not that important of a day. But um, if you remember that and it turned out to be you, uh, you might want to call this guy. So this is uh, uh, anyway. Um, uh, his name is uh, Michael Justin uh, Porco. Uh, Corso. Anyway, uh, and he, uh, anyway, he was snapping photos, set up, set this up, and he captured them. Um, so we're just going to put that out there. I, I think it's quite, kind of cool. Time lapse. Uh, do you guys do time lapse or much time lapse? Any time lapse? I I, I, sh- I shoot some video, um, and uh, um, I just I've just recently started playing around time lapse. I'm actually having a lot of fun with it. I have this. I'm I'm a, I, I, I will admit. I'm slightly obsessed with time lapse. I'm I'm obsessed <laughs> with. Here's what I'm obsessed with. I'm obsessed with stretching time. So going both directions. So I love slow motion, uh, and I love time lapse. You know, and and I and I think that it's interesting because you see the world in a different way. You know, mm-hmm. you 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 know, it's um, you know, we, we what we do a lot with time lapse. I've got these little these cheap little Ricoh cameras, and I have um, these little gorilla pods. And when we're setting up a big stage. Um, or putting on, putting on these big shots, I'll just wrap them on to some of the stuff around the around the outer edges of the of the uh, studio, and just capture the whole event happening. And you just see patterns and things that happen that you would never notice if you weren't you know doing time lapse. You know, because by squeezing it all down, you just see a lot more of what's actually happening there. And the same way with stretching it back out again. So, and and in addition to all of that, you get to see time lapse. <laughs> so, yeah, no, uh, they're, they're people... fun to watch. I mean, I got a. There's a wedding video that I'm working on, and uh, it's a 25-minute video, and there's pieces missing to it. And I have a guy that shoots video for me, and we, he's been sending me his, his uh, you know, the edits. And, and I said, you know, the thing that's missing from this is that we need a little time lapse to kind of put all this together. And right. the wedding was right on the, uh, right on the Hudson River overlooking the city. And I said, well, that's what's missing. We need these time lapses. So he's been waiting yeah. for me to get up at four o'clock in the morning to go. Cause I have to, it's sunrise over New, New, New York from, from New Jersey. So I got up yesterday. And of course, when I got there, um, I couldn't find my car keys in the morning and I totally, <laughs> <laughs> I totally missed the sunrise. And then it was completely overcast. So it was right. like the total, like, um, time-lapse fail yesterday. Yeah, but, it's, uh, and, and we, uh, uh, we, we shot a bunch of it. If you go to, if, if, um, if you go to dreamforce.com, we shot a video for, um, for salesforce.com, and we used tons of time-lapse with 5Ds and uh, put them on sliders and everything else. And it, it was just a great way to uh, glue all of the uh, – yeah. it was like this great way to glue a whole bunch of other video that we were shooting you know, back together. You know? And uh, so it was a lot of – lot of fun anyway so definitely just another another little push um so alex are you the guy in that intervention time lapse video on youtube have you seen this no 
<laughs> it's hysterical. It's this video. I just I just looked for it on YouTube. Uh, Philip Bloom is the guy who who put it out. But if you just uh, search for intervention and time lapse on YouTube, you'll see it. And it's basically a, a little mockumentary about a guy who's so into time lapses that his friends have to do an intervention, and he's you know, in this hotel room. He's in this hotel room doing time lapses from the room, and then he's doing time lapses of the cameras doing time lapses, and he's doing a time lapse of the wall so you can see it change color, you know, fade over time. Um, it, it's it's hysterical. I have to, you know, I, I I keep on meaning to put up some of my time lapses because it's. Uh, I have a great one of us showing a sculptor, um, you know, a, 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 you know, doing a Zimbabwe like a black a stone sculptor doing, um, you know, sculpting. So you see this raw stone, and you end up with the sculpture, and uh, and it's just this, you know, over five or six minutes, you just see this four hour process get condensed down into this um, little bit, and it's just it is to me it's like magical. Every time I show it on at events when I'm talking about. Uh, Africa, they uh, everyone wants me to finish it because I'll, I'll start playing it. I'll go, okay, okay, because I've seen it a bunch of times, and then you get this all like, no, I want to see this. And so, definitely, if, you, if you're not doing time lapse, it's worth uh, going out there. If your camera doesn't do time lapse, uh, you can get a controller. Uh, I use a Promote, um, but that's the most expensive, painful way to do it. Um, <laughs> you know, it's uh, uh, the Promote is is great. I use it for HDR as well, so it happens to be the thing that I shoot like nine ex- nine stop exposures. If you have a Nikon camera, you don't have to do any of these things. Not that I'm bitter. But um, because uh, yeah. that's all built, all that stuff's built in. But the, the time lapse is fun. I like the slow mo um, stuff too. I could watch that stuff for hours. Um, yeah, there's that one that uh, the, the fellow uh, spent a, a day in his hotel room in Las Vegas. Have you seen that? No, that one that he did, and he had a what's that really high end slow mo camera? It's about thirty grand. Uh, thirty grand. Well, I don't know. The, about, the, it's it starts with PH. The Phantom. The Phantom. Yeah, that's like a, Phantom. I think it's like a quarter million or something like that. Or, yeah, more than that. But he so he spent a day in his hotel room with this Phantom, and he recorded like knocking a glass, you know, dropping a glass full of water into the sink and turning on the shower head, and just he captured the whole hotel room. But he did it all in slow mo, and it was a really <laughs> cool video. That's great. <laughs> so uh, definitely, uh, definitely check that out. Uh, and if you are the person who was, uh, you know, proposing, uh, call the I mean, you got pictures of you proposing from. I'm I'm just pissed that I I've been shooting uh, engagements in Bethesda Fountain for 15 years and I never you never captured anything like that. Oh. <laughs> so sad. When I was in New York a couple of weeks ago, dude, we were at the we were at the top of the Empire State Building and just uh, up there at night. And right behind me, the guy proposed to his girlfriend. Right behind. Yeah, me, that never happens to me. <laughs> it was pretty cool. In in uh, it, it, I almost feel like you have to in San Francisco, you know, because it's such a touristy town. You almost have to like you have to know how to use all these different cameras because someone just walks up to you constantly. Can you take this photo? <laughs> and, and what's funny is, is if you do it often enough, like because I you know whatever because I have a big camera on my back all the time when I'm walking around, so they just assume that you know I you know I'm the one that gets asked, you know, and uh, and 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 they assume that I'm not going to steal their camera. I think I think that's the other side of it, and um. And, and But what's funny is, is you get to the point where you know exactly, oh, yeah, we're here. So I said, okay, now move over here. Okay, now you just stand here and I lean, lean down here. And you, and you know exactly where the perfect photos are uh, for each one of these, uh, you know, locations because it's, it is the same. It's the same, you know, the same photo generally, <laughs> you know, with all of these uh, locations is the one that everybody wants, you know, so. And before we go any further, I just want to make sure to thank our sponsor, Squarespace.com. Squarespace, of course... You know, I don't even know what to do without it. Uh, Squarespace is uh, the easy way to build your website. Now, the thing is, is that, you know, I get stopped. I got stopped building websites because I was just like, oh, I don't want to code it. I don't want, I don't want to know anything about HTML. I don't want to know anything about CSS. I, I just want something where I can do a WYSIWYG and design it, and there it is. It's done. Uh, and, uh, and I don't want to think about I don't want to know how to upload it to the server, how to install things. I, I just want it to work, and that's what, exactly what Squarespace.com does. So what you basically have is an easy UI. Now, if you are a code, if you want to inject code into there, uh, if you're a CSS expert or you want to put other kind of code in, you can. Uh, but for those of you who just want to get a gallery up uh, or or just get uh, a Twitter widget up or a Flickr photo display or a form or a forum uh, or blogs, I mean, you, you can do all of those things. You can, you can, when it comes to blogs, you can even import and export WordPress, Blogger, Movable Type, and TypePad. So it's just a great way to kind of solve all those issues. Um, now, it has website tracking for built-in uh, built search engine optimizer. Uh, you can do per- permission access uh, in the whole thing, and it's a cloud architecture. So the main thing is, is that you're able to 
you don't have to worry about your server melting down if suddenly you get popular. It's in the cloud, and it's going to get handled that way. They got an AJAX interface that you just drag things around. I mean, <laughs> when we were working on the PixelCore site, uh, the front page right now is on Squarespace. When we were working on it, the uh, you know the uh, Carolyn who manages the members and I would sit on the uh, you know, on Skype, and, and she'd move something and hit save, and then I'd move something and hit save, and we'd talk about it. And, and that's how easy it is. And uh, but, but you don't have to believe, uh, you know, you don't have to believe me. Just go up to squarespace.com slash twip, and uh, you get a free 14-day trial. You don't have to put anything in. You just, uh, you don't need a credit card. You can just sign up for a free account, and you can give it a shot. And uh, it's it's a month to month after the free trial, so you don't have to commit to anything. You get 10% off with one year, 20% off with two years. Um, but uh, definitely uh, check it out. Once again, squarespace.com slash twit. Okay, so now we're uh, back and we're ready to do uh, our, 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 our tips of the week um, and, and then our picks for the week. Uh, but before we do that, we want to, before we continue the show, we want to uh, also give a shout out to the World Cleanup 2012 campaign. Now, they've contacted us to say that they are looking for photographers to help report on littering around the globe so an accurate map can be generated prior to the cleanup efforts. So they're looking for a few regional editors, uh, photographers uh, all over the world. For more information, go to letsdoitworld.org. I think it's kind of cool. So, uh, so anyway, definitely check that out. The power of crowdsourcing photography. Uh, now, um, now it's time to uh, we, we're picking picking the brains of our of our uh, illustrious hosts and uh, find out uh, what they think uh, people should walk away with. Jason, you got a tip for everybody? Uh, what was my tip? Shoot a lot. I did that one last week. <laughs> Obviously, no, Jason wasn't you know, listening photog- last week. I, this is, the, this is the number one. This, but this is the number one tip. Go ahead. I think I think that kind of ties into the the Guinness thing, and and um, I, I think photographers spend a lot of time doing a lot of talking and not a lot of doing. You know what so, they call that? You know what they call that? Where I come from? All hat and no cattle. Yeah, yeah. So you know, you may not have th- thought the Guinness thing was the most extraordinary feat in the world, but I did it, and I went out there and did it, and uh, you know, I challenge you to do the same, and and you know, every time I do something, I get better at it. It doesn't matter what it is um, that I'm shooting. Fantastic. Joseph, do you have a tip for everybody? I do. I recently stumbled on a website that I just find fascinating. You might know about it. It's called uh, DIY Photography. No, no, this is our tips for week. Do you have a tip for everyone? This is a, we threw you a curve. This is my tip. Well, yeah, a tip, tip used to be a website. Oh, and it's a pick. <laughs> we changed the rules? <laughs> no, no, there's going to be a tip and a pick. Oh, yeah, well, but come you can back make, to me then. Okay, okay. Tip of we'll the totally threw me. See? This has changed. Totally threw you. It's usually just, questions at this stage, but our forums are still kind of down. Yeah, so. we, we had some we had some <laughs> issues, but we were – issues that we were sorting out. It turned out that we finally got to a point where we were popular enough that the website uh, wasn't ready to handle it. So are the, are the forums specifically. So we're, uh, we're going to sort that out. Um, I'll jump in uh, real quick, and then we'll go to Bruce. Uh, so one of my tips is to process your images quickly. And what I mean by that is, I mean, we don't have to process them anymore. You know, you don't have to send them out. You don't have to do any dark room. You just open them up in Aperture or Lightroom or iPhoto or whatever you're using. And uh, one of the things, one of the uh, operative practices that I've kind of gotten into as I, as I work on this stuff is to, uh, after I shoot, uh, I try within a day and sometimes within hours, I try to get them all into uh, into my, and I happen to use Aperture for it, but I, I get them all into Aperture and I uh, review them all. You know, and I and I actually give them stars. If I don't give them any stars, I'll probably never see the photo again. So, like me putting a one star on it just means ah, I might want to look at that one again. Um, you know, but outside of that, I kind of give everything stars. Um, I sometimes do a couple little corrections, and if I like a photo, I tend to look at. Uh, do a little bit of a look at of, of just what did I do there? I mean, what were my settings? If I didn't like a photo or something really didn't turn out, I also do the same thing. One of the things about that is is that you get a lot of – number one is that you actually do something with your photos, which means that it's it's easiest to deal with your photos when they're new. It's harder to remember where you put them and, and what you did with them if you let them sit on your memory card for the next three weeks. Um, and so uh, – and it's easier also to keep them in their own events. So I like to try to keep them all in like I shot them on this date – or I did this thing, and, and they're one clump rather than six clumps that you have to deal with later, and then you don't deal with them, and then they're a big pile of photos. And, um, and, and when they're a big pile of photos, it's just going to be something you don't deal with, and then you don't use them, and so on and so forth. The second thing is, is it gives you a lot of feedback. You know, you make a, you, you get to you um, you learn a lot faster when you're looking at the, the result of, of your efforts um, soon after you did it, and making reviews. So and so you're able to you know, uh, you know, see what you did. And then that helps kind of, uh, reinforce 
practices or, or underlying practices that you shouldn't do anymore or whatever that is. So um, it helps a lot. And then, and then finally, if you're still in the, in the location or around the area, you realize that you can either realize that you didn't get the photos that you wanted and you might want to go back out and shoot them. Um, you know, and I've done, I did that in Paris. I shot a whole bunch of photos in Paris uh, a couple weeks ago and got to the end of it, loaded them all up and, uh, and then realized, oh, I got to shoot them again. So I went back and shot them all again because I was still there. And, and uh, uh, that's the hardest thing to do, though, isn't it? To go back and shoot them again? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Fortunately, I don't have people. I have. It was just. I just had to. I had to. No, document. no, no. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, yeah. No, it, it was hard. To, it was hard, but it was just. Uh, you know, the way I shot them with the lenses that I was shooting them at. Uh, I, what I did is I actually upload. I had someone I was shooting them for, a friend of mine here in in San Francisco. He he needed them for matte paintings, and and so what what I did is I you know I shot them all with an eight millimeter fisheye so that I could get them because that's how I shoot panos. But when he got them, he was like, oh, I don't know if this is really going to work. So I just went back out with a twenty eight and and you know covered the same information uh, right in front of the. Arc de Triomphe, um, and uh, but it was it was great, and now I just have a lot more photos of it. Um, and so, uh, but yeah, it is hard. It's hard to go back because you're just like, oh, I had other things I wanted to do this today. Right. And, and, uh, and, uh, but there was, there's this really great place to get, um, uh, yeah, these, these little cookies, <laughs> 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 macaroons. Uh, so, so it was a good excuse to right, right where the last photo is, is like a block from, um, from, uh, this place where you can get these great macaroons. And so I, that was my payoff to, for, for going back. I got my mom a box of them for her birthday. So, so anyway, uh, so Joseph, do you have a, do you I have a do, tip? I have an actual proper tip this time. So this one's for kind of new DSLR owners, people who bought that camera and, you know, not quite sure what to do with it yet. And I run across a lot of people who have these really nice little DSLRs, Rebel or, or whatever, and never get it out of that green square, fully automatic mode. And generally because they're afraid to, right? They just they, – as soon as they switch it to another mode, they don't know what's happening. The pictures aren't very good and they just don't know why. So my tip is a lot of these cameras have what I call cartoon modes, right? The sports mode or the backlight mode or nighttime photography mode. If you don't know how to set your camera for a particular situation, use the cartoon mode just to grab a snapshot. So the, assuming the picture turns out you know, pretty good, look at the settings that the camera assigned to it. Oh, look, it's ISO 400 and it's a 60th of a second and f 5.6. And then dial that in manually or dial that in in aperture expert, uh, aperture, expert, aperture uh, priority mode and, and then go from there. And once you learn what the camera is doing for you, you can take that and expand on it and then start to control the things that you want to control. But if you don't know where to start, it can be really daunting to get into anything other than fully automatic. So that's my tip. Take those cartoon modes, grab the setting from there, and put it in manually and, and move on. Great. And uh, Bruce, you have a tip for us. Uh, my tip uh, comes from just a, a, f- a fellow photographer this week on Facebook was out uh, they were out in Vancouver uh, for a wedding shoot this weekend. And on Thursday, their shutter died mm-hmm. on, their, uh, on their camera. And so he put a quick you know, post out on Facebook. Like you know, They had backup gear, but they wanted to get you know, backups to the backups. And uh, they're looking for, you know, where can they go to get these things? So my, my tip kind of comes from that. And it's uh, if you're shooting away from your kind of your normal location, uh, make sure you kind of prepare ahead and know where to go for backup gear if something does happen to go wrong. So if you know somebody in the location where you're going to make, you know, arrangements ahead of time that, you know, hey, I'm coming to town. I've got this important thing I'm shooting. Can I borrow your gear if something happens or know of a, you know, of a camera store or a place there that, that carries gear? Um, so that you're not kind of scrambling at the at the last minute. So that's a great tip. I it's you carry backup gear. <laughs> well, <laughs> so they were they're now wanting backup to the backup because now the backup was going to become <laughs> the main, and so they wanted backup for the backup in case that happened to go down. So <laughs> yeah, no, I we you know I uh, the guys at at the office make a lot of fun of me because I. You know, we have mixers that back up the mixers for, you know, our live events and everything else. And, and we have all of this stuff. Like, usually we have two or three different ways that we can get something done. And we know exactly what they are. And when we go into another location, like next week we're shooting, I'm shooting in uh, uh, Japan and then Tanzania the week after that. And the, um, the, uh, in each one of those locations, I know where the expendable, I know where I can buy expendables. I know where I can buy new cameras. I know where I can buy the lenses. I know where I can buy electronics. I know where I can, you know, mm. you know, like, you know, and, and, um, usually we have, a uh, one of our assistants now actually puts together this map for us. You know, they do all the research and then we have, you know, three places that are rental, three places that, you know, usually we just ask for three of everything, um, to make sure that we, you know, have, you know, and, and we know exactly how to get there. So there's little maps of like, okay, you're, if you're in Japan, you get on this train to go to this train, to go to this train, to get to Akabahara. So in Japan, all you have to know how to do is how to get to Akabahara. You know, because that's the, you know, for, for camera stuff, it's just like, and then you get to Akabahara and then there's, you know, a thousand, um, 
uh, you know, things to places to, to go. You spend all your money on everything else but camera stuff, right? Oh my gosh, you just go. It's big, a big camera. It's called big camera, and um, and it's uh, it's really cool. So anyway, uh, so uh, but that's a, it's great, great tip. That's fantastic. So now we're on to our picks for the week. Um, and uh, Joseph, you were ready. I was. I'm throwing, I'm throwing so it right at my you. tip was a, a website, uh, DIYphotography.net. It's it's a fantastic little website for finding out how to do things at home when you don't have a whole lot of money to spend on big expensive gear. And frankly, some of these tips are are giving you ways to do things that you probably couldn't even do with lots of really big expensive gear. Uh, there's right. two of them that caught my eye. Right away, the first one that I found, the reason I found the website was this post called the Super Easy Macro Light with a Pringles Can. And it is, it's genius. You take a Pringles can, you know how they're kind of silvery on the inside, cut the bottom off of it so you just have a tube. And then even with a little tiny on camera flash, just point that camera, or point that flash into the tube and then use some rubber bands and tie the tube onto, uh, onto the camera, going down the lens, following the lens. And then you get this nice big circle of light right where the lens is, right above the lens, pointing at your subject. You could put a little, you know, uh, like a little cellophane thing over a little yep. white tissue or something to diffuse it a bit, uh, and you get a nice big soft light that's right next to your subject. It's just genius, and it's you know cost you with cost of a Pringles can. Um, lots of great tips on there. There's another one on there that if you use a Canon point and shoot camera, um, and if you're of the hacker mentality and you're using something something called the CHDK, the Canon Hack Development Kit, there's a little hack you can put in there that turns it into turns the sensor into a motion sensor specifically for shooting lightning. So you just basically turn the camera on, point it at the night sky, and whenever lightning strikes, the camera takes a picture. And apparently, the response time is fast enough to catch the lightning strike. It's just brilliant, and it's virtually free. So That's all kinds of neat stuff, DIYphotography.net. That's great. Thank you very much. Uh, Bruce, what do you have for us? Okay, I have two picks. <clears throat> so my first pick is a program called Motiboto. Yes, yes. Yes, Jason <laughs> knows Motiboto. Hey. <laughs> so I had a chance to meet uh, two great photographers who are actually in Calgary, Dave and Quinn, and I did an interview with them, which we might try and put in an upcoming uh, episode of TWIP. Um, so they're when the I was best. Like, Sorry. Yeah, they're awesome. <laughs> so they've developed this application. If you work in Lightroom, that's basically replaces all of the sliders with keyboard. Oh. So if you're in editing, this is really good, particularly if you're doing processing a lot of images, if you're, you know, weddings, events, that kind of stuff. Um, I, I picked it up and the last event that I covered, it probably cut my processing time in half what? being able to do all the editing. So it's basically, you can either purchase, it's, it's a software and a hardware piece. So there's a keyboard. It's basically the Apple wireless keyboard. And you can either get a silicone just skin that goes on top of it that has all of the presets. So things like exposure, recovery, you know, contrast, clarity, all those uh, main sliders mm -hmm. are all there at your fingertips. And you can very quickly go through using Motiboto, which is the software that runs in the background, and it maps all of those, all those sliders to keys on this keyboard. And you can go through and it, literally it saved me at least you know half the time to edit a, a session and go through and do stuff. So right. uh, great product. You can also – there's a version for Lightroom. There's also a version for Photoshop. So if you're doing a lot of work in Photoshop, there's a, there's a version you can get as Mac and Windows. Um, it's about – how many – did we work out the world currency conversion for an Alex? <laughs> have we figured I, that out yet? I don't know if we have the world conversion. I think that it's uh, – I think the current is $700, I think, is an Alex. An Alex. So it's about 0.75 of an Alex. It's about $500. <laughs> um, the, the other nice thing about it is part of the proceeds um, for it actually go to yeah. um, giving back. They actually help a nonprofit organization in uh, Nigeria, Africa. So that's another uh, – it helps purchase things like mosquito nets and clean water, um, education, that kind of stuff. So it's, it goes to a good cause as well. So you can check that out at motibodo.com. I'm guessing, Jason, you must be using it. Yeah, I mean uh, I started with their um, with their other keyboard and then we, we moved recently to the Motoboto keyboard. And, uh, you know, I have an assistant who processes all my images and um, – um, we, we trained on it together. It takes a little bit of time for you to get used to it. Um, but it's easily cut. I mean, I, you know, at a wedding I'll shoot, Lindsay and I'll shoot close to 35, 4,000 images. Um, that all needs to get edited out and, and she's cut hours off of her, off of her time. And that's, um, equaled money in my pocket. Judging. Yep. Yeah. So, and, and, less, and, you know, and, and the bottom line, is, it's not the you know, and for her, you know, she's got other things to do for you. You know, there's no, you know, it's so so the whole thing is, is that you know, she can be working on something more interesting and uh, getting through that stuff faster. Right. And they're good, really good at answering questions, and you know, 
um, I'm pretty simple when it comes to the tech stuff. So um, they've been they've been great, and I don't you know everybody everybody that gets it loves it. So yeah, 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 it's it's fantastic. Yeah. So that's uh, fantastic. definitely check out multiboto.com. And my second pick is just a quick one. It's the uh, Kelby Training has released their iPad app. Oh, great. So if you're a, a subscriber to the Kelby Training stuff, they now have an iPad app so you can uh, view all their great uh, Kelby Training content on your iPad. Fantastic. Jason, what do you have for us? Um, I have a book called How to Get Ideas by Jack Foster. I have I a hard time with that ideas myself. <laughs> this is um, a book that was uh, given to me by a mentor of me, I mean, 10, 15 years ago. Um, and he was really good because he was one of those guys who was always working on a project and um, used to always, you know, say, you know, at lunchtime we would, we would, you know, talk about ideas and stuff like that. And we challenged each other a lot to, to, to come up with projects. But this book was great and, and, and it's a really easy read. And, you know, one, one quick story from it. He had a friend who challenged himself for three years to drive to work in Los Angeles every day a different route. And, you know, it was like an exercise that he did just to kind of uh, mix things up a little bit and, you know, kind of help get the, the ball rolling. It's a, it's a, good, it's a good book. Fantastic, and uh, and I think uh, and then I, me, I guess I'm the, I'm the last one here. Uh, uh, my mine is uh, and some people have seen this story is the glyph. Have you guys seen the glyph? So the glyph is this. Uh, it's for your iPhone. So if you're taking photos with an iPhone, and one of the problems is I don't really do a lot of photography like uh, with my iPhone. I don't put it on a lot of things. I mean, I, I it's mostly my my uh, my portable uh, memory tool. Uh, which is uh, that I take photos of things I'm trying to remember, and uh, and so I take a lot of those. I take some. I take a lot of. Uh, I use Photosynth. I don't know if you guys have. Used, have you guys used Photosynth? Um, Photosynth is this. You can shoot these panoramas almost automatically. It's Microsoft. It's free. It's on, on your mm. iPhone, and and um, uh, so I do a lot of those kind of things with my fo- with my uh, with my iPhones. But I don't want to commit a lot to it. Like I don't want to commit like all this gear and everything else just to put every once in a while I want to put it on a tripod. So the glyph turns out to be the perfect little thing that, to, to do it. It's got a, it's got a quarter inch, uh, quarter 20, jet, um, you know, a little screw mount in the bottom and it's tiny. It's like, it's just, it just kind of clips along the bottom or just along the side of your, uh, uh, of your iPhone. And what it lets you do is actually, uh, uh, you know, it was, it was the kind of the story behind it is these guys designed it, um, at the tech shop, I believe. And then they printed it. I don't know if they did that at tech shop or not, but anyway, but they, they designed it and then they printed it. They did a 3d print, um, with Shapeways, And then they, and then they sh- did a little promo video and put it up on Kickstarter. And then they got way more money than they had asked for <laughs> to, to, to actually make them <laughs> from money from me too. And like, as soon as I saw the video, I was like, Oh, I gotta have one. And, uh, and now it's turned into a little business for them. And it's just this tiny light little plastic oh, that's piece. Cool. It is so <laughs> awesome. And what I do is I have, you know, I have this, uh, you know, my little, uh, my bag, my camera bag is a, this little Kata DR67i. And, um, and you put, I just have it in one of my little front pockets as just the, you know, if I want to, if I need to put my, 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 uh, my iPhone on a, on a tripod for any reason. And it just, it just slips right on there. It just holds it. It's, it's amazing. So anyway, it's called the glyph and you can go to www.theglyph.com and, uh, and check it out. So, um, anyway, uh, that is the end of the show. Uh, Joseph, do you have any, uh, where can we find you? Where can they find me? ApertureExpert.com or on the Twitters at ApertureExpert. Fantastic. Jason, where can people find you? JasonGroup2Ps.com. <laughs> Very good. And Bruce, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me on the Twitters at Bruce Clark, Clark with an E, or on my website, uh, MomentsInDigital.com. Fantastic. And as always, for everyone who is listening, uh, make sure to keep up every- with everything in the TWIP universe. Go to TWIP uh, or go to uh, thisweekinphoto.com. And uh, of course, you can see links to our Facebook and our Twitter and all that other fun stuff. And, uh, you know, that's uh, it's a it's a great way to keep up. We are working on new forums. Uh, we broke the last ones because there's too many of you. Thank you very much. So, uh, but we're, uh, we should have that up in the next couple of weeks. So, so stay tuned. And uh, anyway, that's it. Uh, until next week. Take that uh, lens cap off and get out there and start shooting. This Week in Photo is a PixelCore.tv production. Produced by Suzanne Llewellyn. With technical producers John Riley and Alutha Jamakar.